0: It was a podcast, like any other podcast that someone does out of their home. Ah, uh, well. Anyways, they're talking about Journey and behind the music. I guess it's a VH1 themed episode this time. It's in the basket, the writer's bagel basket. Hey, hey. Come on, buddy. Ah,
1: Tear me apart, Lisa!
0: Snap out of it!
1: You owe me 15 grand, pal.
0: I love you! That's all I needed to hear. I'm so
1: excited! I'm so <laughs>
0: Don't be mean. We don't have to be mean. Because, remember, no matter where you go, there you are. Hi, welcome to Writer's Bagel Basket. I am Scott Kerland, and we are doing a very special episode to bridge the way from Not Your Average Saturday Morning, last month's theme, to Halloween Shocktober, and it's not even a scary thing that we're talking about. We are talking about Behind the Music's episode on journey and the person who picked this is someone who i've admired for a long time and i can't believe they agreed to be on this podcast mr rob cuttner from he has been a writer for the daily show for conan for the tonight show with conan o'brien and now he has his own show called gander and uh rob thanks for being here
1: thanks scott it's great to be on your show
0: yeah don't lie. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so you picked, normally the guest picks what we're watching. You picked Behind the Music, and the one you originally picked was The Culture Club, which I couldn't find anywhere.
1: Very suspicious.
0: You originally picked that, and I said you could talk about that. But then you were kind enough to pick um, <laughs> Journey. Why, why of all the, the episodes that are free on YouTube that you picked Journey?
1: I don't know. Um, I think that, uh, well, you know what? It actually was interesting for me to go back. And what I, what, what I remember was, like, they kind of skew things in a certain way. And when I originally watched the Journey episode, I think my takeaway was thinking, like, oh, Steve Perry was such a dick. <laughs> like, what a dick he was. When, like, he, was so, he, he got everything he wanted, but he still was, like, too good to be in the band and didn't feel like he was part of it. And then when I watched it again, maybe maybe with the wisdom of age or something, an experience, I could see like, oh, yeah, kind of a good thing, but his life was kind of sad too. And, uh, you know, I think I just saw more complexity to it. So I don't know why, like, I just had – some things, Some you know, some shows just leave you with a strong impression or something like that, that you don't really remember anything besides that. And so I guess I was curious to see, like, if that would still hold up, but it, it didn't have a completely different impression. So, you know, it's like a it's like a fine wine. It really ages well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like, I watched this episode twice because I'm convinced that everyone in the band of Journey was sleeping with his girlfriend, Sherry. (laughs) I'm like 100% convinced. Like, Neil Sean's like, yeah, he was so in love with her, but so was the rest of the band.
1: Oh, you found the subtext of the whole thing. Yeah. That's the whole thing is, like, it doesn't seem like there's this – doesn't seem like there's a huge like emotional melodrama behind the whole thing it seems like there's all these different like weird life things that just sort of intruded at various points um, it's also kind of fascinating I had no idea like so many people were really in Journey or how it, how it's really just been Neil shown the whole time honestly if you think about it
0: yeah it's like it's like Steely Dan it's like, <laughs> like, yeah. like like there's only well now there's only one original member but then all these other people just showed up
1: yeah it's like it's like Spinal Tap in Reverse or something I guess
0: exactly yeah. yeah
1: but then like you know like and, and it's like all he ever really wanted to do was just be a rocker and have a band and that's like, like kind of like all he does the whole time is just be a rocker and have a band but like when he was doing it himself he was like too experimental and all this stuff and for not and and you know it's like weird one of these weird devil's Bergens things where like he needed steve perry and he needed that whole sound and that kind of like ballad feel he didn't really like it but it made them huge and then he could do whatever he wanted but then it was like all that emo stuff was too much for Steve to handle too. So it was like this kind of toxic lightning in a bottle, if you will, that we caught for, and then also like just how many frigging hits they have. Like, I mean, not even this, the ones in the show, but like, there's so many songs that like still get radio play today. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. I mean, so on, on the podcast, once a year, we'll do a music video breakdown and we did the music video for journey. I can't remember which one we did. We did the one where they're basically outside of a factory and singing to a girl separate ways,
1: separate (laughs) ways.
0: Yeah. Separate ways worlds apart. Um, And, (laughs) and, and um, I just, I just remember that when we talked about that, I was like, man, Steve Perry looks miserable. Like he doesn't want to be there. And then I just love the narrator is like, and Steve realized that he didn't want to be a celebrity. And then they cut to Steve. and He's like, I really didn't want to be a celebrity.
1: I never really felt like I was part of the band. I know. I know that's difficult to see, but I really always felt that I was the outside guy. What's the subtle point they're trying to make here. <laughs> <laughs> what I love I about think- that video too is um, there's some scene with The keyboardist with his long eighties hair is like, has the keyboard up on the wall and he's playing and doing one of those little keyboard riffs. And it's like, that just feels so eighties to me in so many ways. And it's like, Hey guys, let's just break out of the box and put the keyboard up on a wall. It'll be vertical, man. No one's ever done that.
0: Yeah, and that's when you would normally get the narrator and behind the music is like, and no one ever did that before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I love how on the nose the narrator behind the music was. I also like how
1: it, it was such a formula that they that they like you could almost like lift any phrase from one and put it in another one. And like my it's always like, but success came in. The first line is so and so band was riding high. There's always that, and then like by the end of like this, the second act, it's like but success came at a price.
0: We were so I was watching um, Clone High ever since they announced that it's coming back. I binge watched the entire Lord and Millard series of of Clone High and. The principal on the show goes, I've watched the first half of six episodes of Behind the Music, and if I know anything, there's nothing nowhere to go but up.
1: <laughs> That's great.
0: There's only been one Behind the Music in my research for this episode where nothing has gone terrible or wrong for the one person. Do you know which one that is?
1: Um, the, uh... The, the Yanni episode? No, I don't, I don't know.
0: <laughs> no, Yanni actually had some hard times. Like Really? Oh. Yeah. It was Weird Al.
1: Oh, right. Yeah, that guy is like preternaturally like positive and optimistic and kind. I, I've met him before. He's, he's like one of the kindest people and just loves what he does so much and, and doesn't have um, any kind of issues and stuff with other people. And maybe it's because he's his own thing, you know. It's just clearly his own thing. He doesn't depend on a band, as it were.
0: Don't want to cut you off, Rob, but you dropped a name back there. Um (laughs) No, but yeah, um I've actually I've met name dropping too, I've met Al before too. And
1: Oh just Al, okay, I see. You don't need an adjective for you guys. You're that weird
0: Alan Yankovic Jr.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You clean your room up right now, that's his mother.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But but he's he's just so nice and like um I was like, oh yeah, uh my best friend's vegan and he's like cool. <laughs> like like it, it's that being starstruck by someone like like Al is is basically what I'm trying to get at. Like I didn't know what to say. I was like, "Oh, I'm going to ask him about this and this and this because I've interviewed people before." And like the first thing I said was like, "Hey, I I know vegans too." Like I turned into a child cuz I didn't know what yeah, to say. I, you
1: were like the Chris Farley show. You remember that?
0: <laughs> yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey re- remember when you made UHF that was awesome.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'll tell you one little story about him, which is like, I think it illustrates like, because you really have to, you still have to sort of dominate to, um, to be successful, I think, in any kind of industry. And so the way I met him was um, by some stroke of dumb luck. I really don't know how, but he started following me on Twitter, uh, which kind of blew my mind like for about a week. And I was afraid to even like even post anything or, or add him or anything like that. Cause I just didn't believe that was even possible. But then I had a pitch for Conan, which was like, I said, um, you know, you have, Oh, so if, if you guys remember, uh, when Conan moved to TBS, he, he co-wrote a new theme song, uh, for his intro with the band leader Jim Avino. That's super inside baseball. <laughs> he used to have that old late night, uh, anthem which was pretty famous that he had on the late night show for 20 years and so he wrote a new song because it's for a new show and i said well i noticed that song doesn't have any lyrics what if we had like a lyricist come and write like words to conan's new intro song and who's you know who's the most memorable lyricist you know weird Al. so um i ran that up the flagpole and they were into that so then i reached out to him through dms on twitter you know that's how that's how all the business gets done nowadays and i said would you be interested in doing this and he was and like i couldn't believe it so um he came in and he wrote this, he wrote the song and, and the lyrics for it. And I thought this is, you know, I'm not, I'm kind of a little embarrassed to admit this, but I, I will. I, I thought, wouldn't that be like amazing if I was sort of part, a part author on a Weird Al song. And so there's just a few lyrics in there. I was like, well, what if we did this or this or this? And I tried pitching other things, you know, just to sort of be part of that and just every single one, he was like, no, I think this is better because of this. And then he put it, he would either change it or he put a better lyric in. And it was like, there's this sort of method of creative control where he like, you know, he's so meticulous, a craftsman, like all the details that go into his songs and his, the parodies and the videos, you can tell there's so much craft into it. He takes it hundred percent seriously. And if you read that New York times magazine profile, I don't know if you read that uh, probably about three or four months ago, they talk about like uh, I feel like it was ga- gangster paradise or some other, no white and nerdy, something like that. White and
0: nerdy. I, yeah, I, you remember,
1: yeah. They talked about how he writes like hundreds of possible lyrics for these things and then just narrows them down until the very best ones i mean he just he works the cr- it sounds so like effortless and kind of silly the way he throws the stuff off but there's so much creative work to do it so you see like he really controls his craft and i don't feel like he wasn't he wasn't a jerk about it at all he was never mean but it was just like clearly he had a complete bead on what he wanted to do and exactly how he wanted to do it and even though he was happy that i brought him on the show and all that stuff like then happy to do it he was just going to do it the way his vision told him to do it and he was super nice about it and super respectful but that's the way he did it so like to me like it was the same drive that anyone in journey or in these other bands have. It's just that he wears it very lightly and in a way that doesn't, you know, bruise other people's feelings or, you know, turn into conflict.
0: Yeah. I heard that when, when he was writing word crimes off of um, his latest album, like he went through 17, I think different drafts of the song and, and, then like when I was watching this and Steve Perry was like, Yeah, with with arms o- uh with arms open, I, I I couldn't really think of lyrics. I'm like Really? Are are you sure? Like
1: Yeah, it just came it just came out of you, right?
0: Yeah, I, I love that it's like it was this other force. I'm like, Oh fuck you.
1: I hate that within any kind of creative endeavor when they show it, like even real people do it or like in a movie or a TV show, when someone just gets inspiration to sit down at the piano and the song just comes right out. I mean, I, I do believe to some extent that happened with maybe a few places like the Beatles, just because Lennon and McCartney were just like insane, insanely prolific songwriters. Like I do believe they probably came up with songs, but like for almost any of us who do creative things, like, what you never see is all the stuff that led up to it. Like all those false starts and the, the rough drafts and the stuff you threw out and started over again. Like there's this whole like illusion of like, oh, it all came to me in a dream. I wrote it down and then we had a hit song on the radio.
0: Yeah. I was rewatching, uh, I want to hold your hand. The Zemeckis movie, um, mm-hmm. where he, tells about the four girls who are going to the Ed Sullivan show to see the Beatles. And there's a scene where they're in the actual hotel room of the Beatles. And there's like all of these crumpled pieces of paper. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm like, man, did they have a cold? And I realized, Oh, they were lyrics like, <laughs>
1: or some something else crumpled up in a hotel room. I'll <laughs> <to you.
0: laughs> Those Beatles were saints. <laughs> Only two of them were addicted to drugs. They have a
1: song called come together. Scott, wake
0: up. <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, I I, watching this with with Steve Perry just going, yeah, and it it was like so organic and it came to me. Songwriting was like a second beast. I was like, fuck you. Yeah, fuck you, man. Oh, here's here's a
1: great example. You know, Jack Kerouac's The Road. Yeah. So that like that's this one that's like people famously talk about, like, you know, this even the whole like aesthetic of the beat, uh, you know, writing was that there's this, you're sort of gripped by some spirit and, you know, maybe it's even a spirit that's fueled by, you know, uppers and stuff like that, but it's very like unfiltered. And it just like, is so raw and authentic and it just has a flow to it. And it's not like that no one stops to make it literary or structured. So the, uh, the LA public library had a, um, uh, had an exhibit where they showed the manuscript of the road that this it's almost like a famous thing from legend that Kerouac just sat down as typewriter and was fueled by up, uppers and, coffee and whatnot and just like kind of typed it all out you know as it came to him that's the kind of flow that it is no if you look at this thing you have it rolled out and there there's just so much red ink on it it's like a bloodbath and you're like oh that's pretty cool like it, well it's kind of bullshit also that that legend pervaded it, but it's also cool that like this thing that's presented as like this flow of the spiritual muse was like actually a lot of work and was crafted and was you know a lot of it was thrown out and redone like that's very kind of gratifying to
0: see in, in this, I just love how Neil Schoen is like, yeah, everyone thought that Steve was a genius. And am I saying he is? No. <laughs> like...
1: <laughs> <laughs> Neil's gotta be Neil, right? Yeah,
0: Neil, Neil Schoen is like so cold-blooded in this. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I mean, he, he was great and everything, but, you know, I found a second guy. The joke was, you know, Elvis has left the building. You know, we get off stage... He'd take off in his car and he'd be gone, and we'd be sitting around and we'd meet the fans. There's no more Steve, you
1: know. The way they, they, he could replace anybody in that, it was like chilling, right? It's like he should. He was like the CEO of that company.
0: It, it just reminds me of
1: they threw out the manager who made them successful. You know, like,
0: yeah, like like it, it. just reminds me of basically any James Bond movie where the the villain kills his own henchman. Like
1: yeah. And the fact <laughs> that he replaced he replaced him with a sound of like not I didn't I forgot this not once but twice I forgot there was the the guy they replaced him with in the Steve something I think uh, not Steve uh, but the I think Italian guy Italian named guy yeah
0: replaced, th- it was another Steve they replaced Steve Perry right
1: and then there's also Arnold Pinetti, but I remember also the Filipino the second guy they replaced sounded like like that's pretty that's pretty Machiavellian
0: yeah not just that they found him on YouTube singing yes. Down- and, I mean, th- this episode was way before um, that guy was found. This was, like, early 2000s. Yeah. Wait. Steve Smith. Uh, no, not Steve Smith. Um, so the current members are Neil Shone, Ross uh, Valor, Steve Smith, Jonathan Kane, Randy Jackson is back in the band. Oh. <laughs> uh-huh. Good old Randall. Um, and Arnell Panada is the, the lead vocalist yeah. now. Yeah. But then, like the the past members are Steve Perry and then another Steve. It's yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, you all remember the second Steve. And I love how the the replacement lead singer was like, yeah, I mean, uh, oh, Steve, Steve Aghori. Aghori, yeah. Yeah, and he was like, yeah, I I just couldn't handle being in the shadows of of, of Steve Perry. I'm like, oh, bud. That's so sad. <laughs> like... Especially because
1: there wasn't, like, the kind of... Well, maybe there was... I wasn't... I'm not privy to the journey community, but I don't remember there being a huge, like, backlash against that. I don't think it, people really... You would think, like, the way that people act about, like, casting news, about, you know, anything, people, like, are so so temperamental about any kind of change. Like, or you know, female Ghostbusters, stuff like that. Anytime you change a formula, people are so cranky about it nowadays, but it's like no one seemed to care.
0: Or with Chadwick Boseman dying, like... They don't want a new Black Panther. They want Sherry to take over. They're like, no, don't recast the role. It was his role, right? But I, I just picture like back in the early nine, uh, early two thousands, late nineties. They're like, yeah, we're gonna replace replace Steve Perry from Journey, and someone's like, oh, okay.
1: I just love that he actually replaced him with a Steve. Like to me, there's a little bit of that's a bit of high level trolling there, if you ask me.
0: They picked a guy who kind of looks like him too.
1: Well, that makes more sense, though, to some extent. But, like, literally a Steve, I mean, that's just, like, that's not accidental, I think.
0: Well, it's like the Dick Sarge and Dick York. Like, they yeah, literally right. pull the Bewitched. Right. And I love... I love how... I don't want to be mean and say milk toast, but how milk toast Steve Perry is in this. He's literally... he He's dressed like a... a blackjack dealer. <laughs> like... He's like, oh yeah, you guys need to interview me. I need to go get back to the palms.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, he's got to go steady gig, there now. Also, I love the fact that like this is the only rock and roll story that takes place at the pinnacle of a band's height, where like the thing that kept them from getting back together was hip surgery. Yeah, like that's like the Rolling Stones now, maybe. But it's like it's so funny that that was like, and also like you know his relationship with his mother. It was like the most sort of anti-rock stuff you could think of, which is pretty funny.
0: It's just insane to think about this band being so popular and controversial enough to get a behind the music. Like, in prep for this episode, I also watched a few other behind the musics. I watched one on the year 1987, and wow. and that was like, Billy Idol is like, oh yeah, I was doing drugs, and I was, you know, sleeping all around, and then like I watched this, and it's like, yeah, it just got too much, and you know, Sherry was sleeping with everyone. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, but didn't you get that vibe that like that's why he 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 chose her over the band?
1: You know, I, I think maybe I, I I would have needed a second watching to get that. I mean, I sort of it was sort of like laid out there, but like here's the thing: like you as you say, like they sort of like they try to like nail it down, like really on the nose throughout it. And they, the fact that they skirted over that, like I sort of didn't really pay attention to it. But I think now that you say it, I can kind of see the pattern. Like, because it, it seems like there's also these sort of gaps in the logic sometimes.
0: That's when I would love the narrator to just be on the nose. We're not saying that Steve left the band <laughs> because he caught Sherry with Neil and, you know, the right. other Steve. But we're not not saying when <laughs> we come back. DNA tests. <laughs>
1: like, exactly. Back on the Mari Povich show. That's um I mean that's like the difference between a show from that era maybe and now. Like nowadays it would be like every single possible piece of you know, in this Kardashian post-Kardashians era era, which I can very thankfully say post, but um like every single like intimate wrinkle would be revealed like that and like exploited. Like they, they were there they was still some some sort of veneer of, you know, some secrets are not revealed, even though it was supposed to be a show about revealing intimate life it was still kind of glossed over kind of a glossy relatively at a distance show
0: yeah i i did love this show growing up because this was the show in high school that everyone was watching like if you don't watch mm-hmm. behind the music on sunday then yeah. you didn't know shit on monday like <sighs> and i was like well what about the simpsons like they just hired comedian dana gould to be a writer and they're like fuck you nerd like
1: right like, look, look who outlasted that, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> but this...
1: And they, and they were kind of like these great, like, little parables of, like, the American dream, like, each one, right? It's, like, the whole idea that you do something you love, nobody, you're a maverick, nobody likes you, but you do the thing anyway, you work you work it to death, and suddenly you catch this amazing bit of luck, and, like, you can just suddenly be rich and famous and get do whatever you want, but then it all falls apart, like, almost with a little Shakespearean or Greek tragedy aspect to it or something like that. It's, like... really compressed dramas of like the whole up and down of like the, uh, that kind of legend we tell ourselves.
0: The most painful episode to watch is the MC hammer one. When you find out that he spent like $90 million on an entourage.
1: Oh my God. Yeah. That was really sad.
0: Yeah. All, all of the, all of those ones, uh, the Britney Spears one is actually pretty sad too.
1: Um, that I've not seen, but I mean like, you know, that was kind of like, that's interesting. So that was like, a much later story and like her, her life was so much revealed to all of us already. So it's almost like, it's almost like behind the music kind of created the uh, environment for its own obsolescence in a way, because it sort of like unearthed all this stuff. And then that just became common practice. And so you didn't need a show to expose like these.
0: Well, I'm wondering because they brought back unsolved mysteries on Netflix, if Netflix or Amazon is just going to be like, no, what we're going to do behind the music.
1: They could they could, they could still find, Plenty of things to talk about, I think. Although it also seems like a lot of the sort of big bands are now kind of more, like, manufactured, you know, to some extent. I mean... By big companies.
0: Part of the reason I've noticed that with Behind the Music, it goes from, like, a really tame episode, which I would consider this one, to a very hardcore one. Do you know what episode followed this one a week later? Remind me. Fleetwood Mac.
1: Oh, my God. Oh, uh, <laughs> that's like an opera of... Heartbreak and betrayal, and
0: <laughs> I mean, I've been saying this. I I used the Bagel Basket Twitter to basically dream cast my own Fleetwood Mac biopic movie of making rumors, and like, I'm like, now if I did that with Journey, I think I would just basically cast like four Robert Pattinsons, <laughs> just just do a uh, do a Parent Trap, and Robert Pattinson plays everyone in Journey.
1: That's hilarious.
0: Um, but yeah. You so, have to grow
1: the ball out, though.
0: I still don't understand how on Behind the Music, the narrator always found a way to work the song in, and every time my eyes would roll, I'm like, eh, okay, it was pretty clever. It's like, any way you want it, that was the way <laughs> Journey needed it.
1: <laughs> so sh- shameless. So yeah. shameless.
0: For a generation,
1: almost a a dad joke the way he's doing it.
0: For a generation of fans who didn't stop believing, Journey was there (laughs) for a wheel in the sky.
1: You could almost say the pressure was loving, touching, and squeezing the band.
0: (laughs) I Um. I just, by the end of this, I was like hoping he would run out of different puns and just be like, uh, Quest for Camelot soundtrack that Steve Perry did by himself. Yeah, deep
1: cuts, like super deep cuts. <laughs> well well conversely it was also funny is like they always would you know if it's a band that has enough of a of a repertoire, they would like they could always find a song to fit the mood. So like this is one of the reasons I remember the Culture Club one was um uh if I guess did you see that one at the time? Do you remember ever seeing it?
0: Yeah, I saw it like a long time ago, but that was like two thousand and one.
1: Yeah so um you know, so a lot of it hinges on um, Boy George uh, being in love, and it's sort of an unrequited love, to, or having an affair with with John Moss in the band. And then I forget it, actually if if Moss like just broke up with him, or cheated on him, or something, or just didn't return his love. But he did something that was like broke his heart, and that was like a big emotional anchor point. And they they, they do that, and they go to commercial with with uh, Boy George singing from one of the songs, "Why did you do that to me?" with John's face on the screen. It's just like. <laughs> It's such, such perfect melodrama that fits the song. And the, the other reason I mentioned that one in, in terms of, like, the sorted I just remember the sorted moment I remember, which was just, I, I don't know why I found it so hilarious, but basically, you know, so George has this long-running drug problem, heroin. and Get
0: out of town, you don't say.
1: I know. Yeah, I heard it here first, folks. So um he really, like, I think he really bottomed out, or hit bottom, as they say, um, at one of the Live A concerts, where he was like, they show him on, on stage and he's just super, super, you know, strung out on drugs and he's kind of almost staggering around. And then he's like, this moment they show him where he's, um, they head on camera, he's sitting at a table, I guess, either they finished or he's waiting on or something like that. And he's so, he's so high on drugs that he passes out and he's holding a pen, maybe for autographs or something like that. And it, the pen goes right up his nostril, like his head falls down. And the pen goes up his nostril. And they showed it <laughs> they showed it in repeated slow-mo a couple of times though.
0: That's when you need like John Madden to come in and be like, so you see what happened here is that oh,
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> you see the pen's entry point on the left sept left side of the septum.
0: <laughs> now, if he went right to the right, it would go right into the parabellum. Exactly. <laughs> I I I just remember um at Live Aid that year. Wasn't that the same year as Freddy or was Freddy dead at this point?
1: Don't I don't remember that.
0: Cuz um. I I remember Culture Club being at the famous <laughs> reunion of Queen mm-hmm. at Live Aid. So I just picture like everyone's cheering for Culture Club and and Boy George just strung out and then across the field he hears on stage, "Hey!" <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm
0: like, "God damn it." where's the pen
1: you need it yeah exactly
0: <laughs> i mean with this episode so there were a few i didn't even say this episode because i was like knowing rob's sense of humor what would he find most ridiculous so the one that i sent you was Holland notes <laughs> Wait, you sent me one yeah i sent i sent you three i sent you huey lewis in the news oh dude you Pop- do
1: my homework i'm so sorry
0: Oh, no, no, when I was giving you options to pick.
1: Oh, the choose from. Oh, I see what you're saying. I, I was like, oh, my God, I just felt like I had one of those nightmares where you show up at school and you haven't done the study for the test. And also, I'm you, naked.
0: You literally just said my favorite joke from the movie Top Secret.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> where Val Kilmer is running through the hall and he's like, excuse me, where's where's the math final? Exams ended two days ago. Oh, God. And he wakes up and he's being tortured. He's like, oh, thank God.
1: <laughs> That's so great
0: but no I, I when I was giving you uh options to pick from yes. I was like because I was like I felt terrible that I couldn't find the culture club one um damn you YouTube. it's weird
1: that they have some and others too I don't know what to find that maybe yeah it's, maybe, I wonder if it's a record company that's what I would guess you know follow the money the record company doesn't want to license things or something
0: and subconsciously because on this podcast we've talked about Huey Lewis so many times I just sent you the Huey Lewis one because we've talked about you know how famous he is for being endowed, <laughs> like well endowed. Right,
1: right, right, right. Yeah, I'm
0: like, please don't make me say. It. That's what he
1: means by the power of love, by the way.
0: Uh huh. Talk about back in time. He's doing it yeah. for his baby.
1: It's so but- big it causes causes gravity to bend around it, causing a singularity, which.
0: You could say it's a real Pineapple Express. Um <laughs> But but then like I was like, okay, what about Hollow Notes? Because the Hollow Notes one is like they were two best friends who made their dreams come true. Yes. <laughs> and then I I'm like I almost sent you this one. I'm like, no, he's not gonna want to do Journey. I would love to do Journey. And then you're like, what about Journey? I'm like, fuck yeah.
1: <laughs> That's hilarious. That's so funny.
0: So um Basically, this is the one behind the music that ends with, you know, they didn't go where they wanted to, but they got there somehow like they leave it on like this nonchalant, very confusing tagline.
1: Well, also, it's like I think it was one of the the few bands that sort of was still together or was it regrouped when they when they shoot it. So like and they always had that vague future. They're now planning a tour in September or something (laughs) like that. Uh, with Steve or something like that you don't really know that's it's gonna go
0: Journey a band that did not nothing for nobodies <laughs> but yeah um this episode was so delightful and it reminded me of like just high school and then also being in Massachusetts how popular Journey is cause well back when we could go out to bars <laughs> um, the, in in mass, the song that ends every night at a bar back when I was in college was don't stop believing like,
1: yes. But, and also even before that, I remember like when they talked about like how, how Steve Perry made it into this band that like, you know, the girls love basically because it was so emotional and all this stuff. And I remember high school, there was this dude who was like, he was not like, you know, he was, um, uh, he was, he was a bit on the, um, overweight side he was not a jock he was not popular he was new to the school he wasn't like part of any of the cliques or whatever but he would sit around a piano and start playing journey and like all the girls would sort of like gravitate towards him, and, like moss to a flame like it was like insane
0: and that man was randy newman
1: <laughs> and then he wrote the same song for years
0: anyway you want it um yeah. Yeah, the one thing that I was very shocked they didn't talk about is how, like, they were incorporated in film, because in, in past episodes, they would always talk about, um, like, I'm trying to think of, I mean, in the, the Goo Goo Dolls one, they're like, they got their fame by uh, being on the soundtrack for City of Angels. They didn't talk about how, basically, their music made Caddyshack in addition to Kenny Loggins. Like, Oh, yeah. I,
1: I think that's sort of been forgotten by the by the wayside.
0: Because whenever I hear "Hey, let's party," like
1: right, I, of course well, that that's so iconic. But I, I guess you know, I, I almost attach it's weird. I almost attached that from Journey to some extent. But yeah, you're absolutely
0: right. Because they also did it again on The Simpsons with "Hey, yeah. we're all gonna get laid, everybody." Right. Any way you want it, and I'm like, <laughs> um, I still, I still love that the entire episode of Behind the Music, Steve Perry looks so miserable. He's like, okay, so you're going to pay me (laughs) $1,300. And and, uh, Neil Sean's like, yeah, it's great. We're on tour again. And everyone else is like, yeah, it's so good to be back together. (laughs) And Steve Perry's like, yep, well, got to get back to the country club.
1: Yeah, it's like um, the episode is called like rubbing Steve's face in his choices. Like, reminding him of all that. he's he really has sort of like detached a while ago, and he's like going up and doing his thing. He's like, Here it is again. Here's all the stuff you had, and here's what you did, you know.
0: <laughs> I just think of that scene in Almost Famous Hey, aren't you? Uh, aren't you? I forget Billy Crudup's name, um, in the movie, oh. but but aren't you Billy Crudup from, from Stillwater on my better day as I am? I just picture yeah. someone going up to Steve Perry, and like, Hey, aren't you Steve Perry on my better day? Know what? Fuck you! And he just walks away.
1: When his hair is short, you can kind of, you can probably kind of sneak around and not get noticed.
0: Well, now he looks like Tony Danza.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's got that real, yeah, he's got that, that sort of Italian buzz cut thing going on, or semi buzz cut.
0: <laughs> Angela. <laughs> so yeah. Who
1: was the boss of that band? When we returned.
0: <laughs> yeah, Neil Schon just cuts them off. It was me.
1: Yeah, it was pretty much me the whole time.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I was playing with... I love when they cut to Santana and Santana is... They're like, Neil Schon started out with Santana and, like, the images that they show of Santana, he looks like Frank Zappa.
1: Oh, you're right. That's so funny.
0: Yeah, he's like, Yeah, so I was playing with Frank Zappa and Frank Zappa said that my music was too experimental. Um, don't you mean Carlos Santana? Him too. <laughs> But like, if Carlos Santana says that your music is too all over the place, yeah, that's come on, Be smooth.
1: I think, um, it, it, it was also striking. Like, what was it? Was it seven or eight years before they really hit it with? See, they were really around for a long time. It was almost really
0: nine it. years. It was almost a decade.
1: Yeah, that's right. I was like crazy.
0: <laughs> it's like it seemed like success wasn't going to be key for them. And then it wasn't. Uh, But yeah. So um, normally on this podcast, what we do is uh, do a scale of rating the episode on a baker's dozen of bagels. (laughs) Um, So if the episode's good, people usually leave the entire baker dozen. And if it's bad, they take it all out. How bad is this episode? How good is it? Or if it's boring, people usually. Wait, wait, wait. wait. The
1: highest scale is a Baker's Dozen?
0: Yeah, it's 13 it's bagels.
1: Um,
0: we I have done say, negative bagels too.
1: Yeah. I would give it like a solid, like, uh, I think I'd maybe, I'm generous. I'd give it like, a, I would think, give it like, you know, an eight because, you know, honestly, I have, to, I have to admit, like, just, it's, it's almost a fear because there's, like I said, it has so many songs that like just almost like the excuse just to play all those songs, at different moments with it was, was kind of like almost worth the price of admission. So it was really solid in terms of a soundtrack. And, um, and also I think like it did present like the whole like bigger history of the, like I like that it had like a little, a lot of subtle dynamics we said to it for, it didn't really have like the huge drama effect of like, I would give it 12 or 13 to, but it it, it was pretty solidly entertaining. I thought.
0: Yeah. I'm going to go with seven and a half. Um, Because at one point, I was listening to um, when he was doing with, uh, I forgot what song it was, but for a minute, I thought it was a Huey Lewis song. I was like, did they just mix up the tracks? And then that made me want to see an episode of Behind the Music where they actually mix up the tracks and play the wrong artist. Has that happened? No, but I I would pay good money.
1: That would be hilarious to just have someone just like a stand-up or just do that and just completely like dryly like remix and just put in all the wrong songs for it and just never comment on it. And just. Huh.
0: Well, this was it for Huey Lewis. She's a rich girl <laughs> and you don't know why.
1: Exactly.
0: So Rob, let's talk about Gander. Let's. Yes. So um, you created the show with Jonathan Kesselman, who he's always been a hero of mine because growing up as the only Jewish kid in basically an all Catholic town and Hebrew hammer coming out. Wow. I was like, Oh, Behind finally. here. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, finally. But if, if you look at your sense of humor, um, you have always been, you know, basically a mentor to me. Like I've always looked up to you. You were always nice to me when I was at the daily show as an intern, like, and I know your sense of humor and I've seen the stuff you've written for Conan and seeing you and Jonathan work together on this. It's like, yeah, this, this is great.
1: Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, um, yes, we, we met during the, um, the writer's guild, uh, strike in 2007, 2008. Uh, if you remember that. And, um, one of his executives who produced the Hebrew hammer is married to a good friend of mine and she's a friend of mine as well. And she just, she had she called it. She said, you guys have to meet each other. Like, she just tried to get us to meet her for email. Like, a while before that, she's like, she saw our, that we were simpatico. She's like, you guys have to know each other because, like, you would really hit it up. But then, you know, being lame guys, we never made that happen. And then we were stuck in picket lines together for, like, three and a half months in, like, the cold weather in New York. And, you know, you're just marching in a, in a, si- in a, in a circle with picket signs. And you start talking to your neighbor, like, hey, what's your name, John? John Rob, John, John, customers like, wait, and we were both like, wait, where were we supposed to meet? <laughs> um, and then it, and then we just really hit it off, and we were just sort of friends for a number of years. We would um, send each other scripts to, to give each other feedback, that sort of thing. And it really was—we actually didn't actually do anything until a few years ago when um, uh, I don't know if you've seen the realistic Black Mirror thing we did.
0: Yeah, I did.
1: <laughs> um,
0: it was a little was just, too realistic for me.
1: That was just a, that was just a riff that I had. Like most of the time, like I would pitch things at Conan, and like this is more complicated. Like Conan, Conan sketches have to be pretty quick turnaround, and have to be even though the, a lot of work goes in them, and they look very highly polished. Like you have to you have to be pretty short and to the point. This was this is like what Black Mirror would actually be like if, if technology works the way it does, which is to say it always fizzes out or something's wrong. So it's all these Black Mirror dystopic. This is just a funnier die video. It's all these Black Mirror dystopian scenarios, some of which were lifted from the show, but like just. You didn't, know, you didn't know the password or you had the wrong cable or, like, you know, the, the battery went out and stuff like that. And that was always what happened. It was just, like, a kind of a riff on it. And I tried to do it at Conan. and It was, it was too complicated. Or um, I think Conan wasn't as much in the Black Mirror. It hadn't really, like, peaked in the U.S. yet. Um, which, was my, which was my way of saying I'm way too hip for Conan, obviously. But, um, but, Great. Uh, now but, Conan's
0: never going to be on this pocket. No, I'm just kidding.
1: But, um, but John had this relationship with funnier Die, And I'd done stuff with him before in the past too, and we both—I ran it by him, and he loved it. And so we we brought it to them. And this was like literally like the last train leaving the station before they started losing all their all their views to Facebook, kind of cannibalizing them. And this happened across the whole like you know humor video making industry. There was like a huge like like almost purge or or these things, all these things, college humor and uh, kind of uh, collapsed. Um, But it was it was when they were still like you know just paying artists to make videos and stuff like that. So. Yeah, and this was 2013, got... right? Yeah, the year was 2013. <laughs>
0: yeah, because because your your video came out the same time as the realistic big, on Funnier or Die, like.
1: Realistic big, the Tom Hanks.
0: Yeah, they, they did it, but if it was a girl instead of a, a boy, and she grows up to be Evan Rachel Wood.
1: Uh, I haven't seen that, but I, that sounds great.
0: Yeah, and the most problematic thing with Big is what they address, but your your videos both both came out at the same time because they were the two things on funny or die that I was watching the most.
1: That's crazy. So, um, and they even just like, they were sort of into making stuff themselves in which case they kind of put it, you know, they, they do their own spin on it. They actually were cool enough to let looking at Jonathan's track record in my background to just say, here's a budget, go out and make this for us. And you know, they had to approve the script and that sort of stuff, but like they just let us go out and do it all ourselves, which, and even put our names at the end of it, which, we get our names and we get a credit. Like a lot of the people, this is one of the shitty things about funny. Die, even though they have been really me that they'd put your name and stuff in the kind of details on the page of it, but you couldn't actually have your, your name up there really prominently. Like as a credit, like it would be in an actual movie or something like that. So they were really nice to us. And I guess maybe all that generosity is what it cost them. <laughs> <laughs> this still sounds like a behind the music. Right? <laughs> then
0: Adam McKay and Will Ferrell came and broke Rob Cutner's legs.
1: <laughs> For funny or die is a choice of funny or die. <laughs>
0: I love, the landlord
1: how, the landlord came knocking.
0: <laughs> and it wasn't a four-year-old swearing. Right. <laughs> it was a man dressed as James Lipton. I I would love for that to be when like Will Ferrell's mad at you. He comes to you dressed as James Lipton and beat the crap out of you.
1: That would be so good. I would like pay to see that. Um so we did that, and then um and then John moved to Ireland, uh, because LA is impossibly expensive to live in if you're a you know a film director if you're not like a um you know a spielberg or a or a, um or uh you know just someone who's, who's already got their kind of like franchise built in um so he's just like a lot of these working directors and it's just expensive and he met this woman from ireland and she's like why don't we live in ireland and then when you get work and you get gigs you can come out to la or new york or wherever like that and fly out for them he's like that sounds good so he moved out there he loves it there and um, he's uh, he's doing some gigs. He's doing a lot of commercial work and stuff like that. And he crosses paths with this guy named. This is great because his name sounds like a James Bond villain. This guy named Kieran Lucid. Uh,
0: so he's played by Ralph Spall. <laughs>
1: exactly yeah, right. His hair is always preternaturally shiny for some reason. <laughs> Perfectly coiffed.
0: So so he looks like Donald Gleason. <laughs>
1: Right, exactly. So, 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 so Kieran Lucid is, and, and appropriately is a, is a, is like a, is a very, um, is a highly successful, um, uh, data entrepreneur, which is a little bit big in a way. Like he's a data scientist who's, who's made tech companies and he's like made tons of money, but he's like very passionate about a bunch of like political issues. And, and he's like, he's like, I love shows like John Oliver and Samantha Bean. I just want to, I wanted to make something that, that talks about issues that I care about. And so, he cast a net out looking for someone to make that. And he's in Dublin, crosses paths with Jonathan and sees what Jonathan's track record is like. And and, interviews him and he's like, he's like, Jonathan's the man. And so then all of a sudden, so I'd left Conan, this is like 2018 and uh, I left, or 2019 rather, I left Conan and um, uh, I was looking for other gigs and stuff to do. And I was kind of like, kind of, I was honestly ready to leave late night and uh, I'd been in it almost 20 years and it just wasn't sort of fun anymore. But, you know, they say, like, once you're out, they pull you back in. So um, so Jonathan pitches me out of the blue, and he, sa- he says, um, there's this guy here who wants to fund a show, and it would be kind of a fact-based comedy like a lot of the satirical shows, but it would be about a couple of evergreen topics that are really of interest to the the, the guy behind it. And um, it would be shorter form so we could put it on YouTube or streaming or something like that. And the, for me, the selling point was is we can decide how we want to make it however we want. And I was like... You know, I don't think ever in like like I've been working. You know, I've had great jobs, but it's always been like you know it's John Stewart's vision or, or Conan's vision, and you're doing your best to like align with what they want to do and their voice, and that's great. You know, sometimes like you guys agree on stuff, and sometimes you don't, and that's fine. Um, but like the opportunity to actually just do your own thing and some and and then conversely, I've made a lot of projects which you probably followed, like you know comic book and stuff like that. And yes, you, know, yeah, just, if you having, haven't.
0: If you haven't uh, picked up shrinkage, please do that.
1: Thanks. Okay this is just plugs of plumbing, plugs away if you will. But you know, conversely, sometimes you get to go off and make your own things, but then it doesn't necessarily catch fire. You know, you don't get, you don't ever make a profit on it. And at best, you know, you only get like a certain amount of people to watch it or to take it in like that. Like it's, you're happy to do it, the passion project, but this guy's like, you can make a show that's properly budgeted and you can do it your way as long as it address these issues. And so it was insane. And, and, um, And so John and I, uh, I said, uh, well, let's have a conversation with him. And so I just said, I just, I didn't really know I was doing it exactly as I don't in most cases. I just sort of kind of went into it and I don't mean to be that bullshit of like the song came to me, but I had some ideas that just like, basically like if you're going to have another show in this huge crowded landscape of like fact-based shows, it just has to be really different just because there's so many of them, you're going to get compared to them unfavorably. And it's just going to fit into the. It's going to get lost in the crowd. So, like, we got to do something really different than everybody else. So, the first thing we thought of was like, I said, what if we didn't just have a host, like another dude or a woman at, at a desk anchoring the whole show? What if we had like a, a like a wide body of, of of comedians who kind of like are a rotating cast and they hand off the story to each other? So we get exposure to a bunch of different voices. And also, these shows are kind of aimed at smart people who are really paying attention they're well informed, but they want to take a deeper dive, like John Oliver, like you john oliver's show is like a phd but you already have to have a master's degree to get it like you know to be or really be paying attention to to get into what he's talking about um and um i mean they make it very accessible and stuff but it's for people who already care a lot i guess is my point point. and like what about all the people who sort of don't care about all these important issues like what if we could get them to pay attention so so what john and i did was like we wanted to make it like a really noisy show they say where it's just like it's pretty r-rated it, you know, it's pretty raunchy in places. It's kind of outrageous. It does like big on sketches. It has animations and songs and stuff like that, and fake ads. And it really goes for more almost like a Saturday Night Live than than a Daily Show feel, um, where we're not pretending that we're like a like a show anchored at a, at an information desk, but we're kind of blowing all that stuff up. And along the way, we're just sort of slipping facts and, and threading an argument around. And we and we put experts in there, but they're not really like doing the show. Um,
0: yeah, you got Lewis at, in there.
1: Louis Black, yeah, I mean, like, yelling about stuff is always, like, a key for success. So so John and I, like, put our heads together, and we found all these comics and actors. We found all these great repertory actors in Dublin to play in the sketches, and then we just reached out and found as diverse a group of comedians we could find who had some name recognition, and were either on their way up or, or were already, like, already there. And, um, and so we got to make the show we wanted to make, you know, uh, and... Um, and just we just focused on these six uh topics that the, the guy behind it was interested in. We hired a researcher, we got the facts right, and then we tried to make it as crazy and uh you know out there as we could so that people who would see it as a comedy show that happens to have like an argument behind it.
0: Yeah. One of my favorite things, I mean, I I love seeing Lewis show up and stuff. I loved seeing Adam Goldberg <laughs> like Yes. Um I I was just very impressed, like I'm, not to kiss your ass, but I'm I'm always imp- impressed with your writing. Your writing is so good, man. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> is that your Christopher Guest uh, moment? Like, yes, I know. Please continue. <laughs> yes, and yourself, yeah. <laughs> but but, just watch watching the show. I haven't had such a. I want to say a big ass smile on my face, in probably since high school, like what since basically discovering the Daily Show in nineteen ninety nine. Like, I I just have so much fun watching this show. Oh, thank,
1: thank you. Well, that's the that's the that's the whole goal there.
0: Yeah, and um, also, people need to how do I say this without shilling for Tubi because they're not a sponsor. Use the promo code WBBB. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but Tubi, like, I didn't know what it was. And then, then you sent me the link. It has so much like content on it.
1: I'm the same. I'm the same way too. I was like, I was like, once we made it, it was kind of like, it, it was dormant for a while as they went out trying to sell it. And suddenly I got the word, Oh, we're going on Tubi. I'm like, what the hell is Tubi? It sounds like, you know, it sounds like a friendly alien or something like or a movie. And, um, it, yeah, Tubi is, like, this kind of, like, I don't want to say low-rent, but it's, like, a free sort of Netflix that has all this crazy library with, like, the most unlikely things that you're, like, oh, yeah, that's where that thing ended up. And also, I think that, I think they have second run of stuff. Like, I think they show, like, The Masked Singer, like, a few weeks after it airs or something yep. like that. Like, it's just random. But it's huge. And also, like, stuff going back to the 60s even. Like They have, yeah. like, the other, I, the other Lucy, Lucille Ball show I learned on it.
0: Life with Lucy is on there. Yeah, t- With with Jenny Lewis. yes. Um, but yeah, like it's, it just seems like this show belongs on a a streaming service and I love what you guys are doing. Um, you're always welcome on this podcast to promote anything by the way. Oh, thank you so much. Um, but yeah, can, can you, uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but can you, can you hint at who Adam Goldberg plays?
1: (laughs) Oh, it's fine. I mean, look, you've got to give away a little bit. Um, well, he played, Yeah, so, um, I mean, that was I, that actually came out of a real discussion about how to present information. So we were always like... Um, this guy, Kieran, like, he made a good point. He's like, a lot of these shows kind of speak at you, you know, kind of yell at you, or speak at you, and, like, kind of dictate a point to you. I mean, like, Sandy's show is called... Which is great. It's called Full Frontal. So, I mean, it's, like, literally, like, like we're going to put this right in your face. Um, he was like, Kieran's like, like, when we present some of these issues... Um, we need. To, it would be cool to have like represent the audience's point of view on it, or like a skeptic's point of view on it, so we can sort of see what the size of the issues are. And also, like, you can make a better argument when you can kind of bring up, you know, an objection and then bat it down. So I was, I was like, what's the what's the comedy version of that? Like, we're not going to have point and counterpoint, you know, that sort of thing. So I thought, like, well, what what if you know everybody knows the phrase "devil's advocate"? It's such a cliche that people say all the time. I was like, what if we just did something crazy and said the devil's allergist. And so like, people know what you're talking about, but it's a little silly and it's weird. And so that's what we have is like, basically, like we have this whole point in that episode about how food delivery services are, um, people think of them as a good and convenient thing, but also like they're kind of extorting small businesses and restaurants and putting a lot of fees on them and driving them out of business in a lot of cases, uh, cause they kind of control the market, especially we've seen that now, I think in the pandemic time, and they really control the market. Um, uh, and then we're like, well, what about the point of view about like, well, you know, this is just the free market and businesses should just get, get to do what they want to do. And what's the harm. And, you know, they'll compete each other out of business. So let's point, let's present that point of view so we can address it. So we have Adam Goldberg is like dressed like an allergist in a white coat, not a Jewish stereotype. He's he used to be a doctor. And he's like literally in a background of hell, you know, with flames in the background and he's, he's on his gig. Like he's the guy who injects Satan with his, like, you know, his allergy meds or something his like that. His bee pollen. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So we just have like, that, that is just like the setting for him to like, get up there and just present kind of his like counterpoint argument and then eventually get in sort of a discussion with Lewis Black about it. But it's like, that was just, that illustrates the aesthetic we went for is to just make a really, you know, that could be like almost, you know, almost like an S bit. Like is that he was the devil's allergist. It's like a weird character and a kind of strange premise, but it's not really what it's about. It's just a way to slip the information in, in a very like comedy forward way, I guess.
0: Well, the crazy thing is, the, the chemistry and playing off each other that both Adam and, and Lewis have, I did not see that coming.
1: <laughs> yeah, in a way that was that was like that was a testament to the um we had a bunch of editors, I think that was Neil Gao, I think it was the editor at that point. I forgive me if I'm wrong, but that was like um, I mean we wrote it that way, but like like he sort of really crafted that. Like we you know we shot them in completely different places. We shot Lewis in New York, we shot Goldberg in LA different times. But, you know, there's an art to that. So, like, with the, every, like, microsecond of the timing and, uh, and the way the music and, and, and the sound goes and that stuff, like, it really feels like they have that kind of, like, really tight chemistry with, like, they're playing, they're riffing off other like, ping pong balls. And so that was, we were really proud of how that came out. And it wasn't even our doing.
0: So is there uh, any, any joke on the show that you're, like, most proud of? Oh, wow. Um, huh. Pick your favorite I mean,
1: child. <laughs> exactly right. This is Sophie's choice of jokes. Um, <clears throat>
0: the answer is Kevin Klein.
1: The answer is always Kevin Klein. Um, you know, it's a little bit hard to, 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 to get distance. One of them I say, okay, this is one that I, I just enjoyed, and especially I like the way they executed it, was we have an episode on uh, nationalism and um, patriotism and, like, basically how, like, Patriotic feelings for your country and symbols like the American flag and the the poppy in in, in Great Britain are abused and turned into weaponized and turned into like you know instruments of hate and division. And how's that happened? And that was like that was also one of the um, uh, Kieran's like huge like pet peeves. And he was like he was like he's like this is going to cause a huge stink in England I, I mean, in the UK. I, I should say uh, when this comes out because people are so passionate about the poppy. Like I like even the American flag where people like have their usual ritual bullshit about using the flag it's kind of cynical and hollow like in britain like the poppy people don't know like represents the you know the tens of thousands of british soldiers who were killed it at uh, world war one it was this huge emotional moment so it really represents the troops directly but it's been and and it's a charity that raises money for veterans and stuff but it's been turned into such a thing of like a proof of loyalty the way that the flag is when the flag bin is here he's like people are going to be up in arms about this and he could sell it he was relishing it. as he said he's like he's like he's like bring it on like he's totally into that so we did this episode about that, about how national symbols get abused. And, um, and again, like, how do you like, how do you like make a really kind of dense and abstract subject that like that accessible? So we finally hit on this thing where, um, where he said like, here's like, here's what, here's what patriotism is. And it's this um, it's just this dude on the guitar, with, like his emo, like uh, his emo makeup is like mascara Sing, oh Ginny, i love you you're the only one i want to do things to and it's just this beautiful love song and then he's like um like now this is patriotism when it's turned into xenophobia and then it's like this this great thing john did with where he just duplicated a bunch of them like so they're like a bunch of clones of each other and now they're punk rockers in there and they're going like fuck you mary fuck you sharice fuck you shirley fuck you everyone who isn't Ginny." (laughs) and it's just like it's just so simple and it's just it's so simple and ridiculous, but I think it just like makes the point in kind of this virtual way that like, you can love your country, but then when you turn it into like, if you do anything but love your country and only your country, then, then I'll hate you. Like that just to me, it's not the funniest thing. I've really taken all the air out of it completely by describing it. Uh, I have really dissected the frog as it were. But to me, that was just like a great way of where you can use music and performance and visual tricks and just like a, a sketch character, a guy playing like a, sca- a character bit and really like emoting to make a point without having to use words to describe it if that makes sense,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: but uh, like using using all the tools, I think so it may <laughs> not be the funniest joke, but what I liked is that it used all these different tools to do everything but uh, use verbal arguments and also make a complex one at that time in that way as well.
0: I mean, I have nothing to say on that <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're speechless
0: <laughs> what I'm left in awe um.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Awe
0: um but yeah so are you guys starting to plan a season two or
1: well we made this all season he funded it and then we sold it and we have to sort of see how it does i mean uh we don't have a marketing arm we don't have a policy department there's no studio behind this so this is all us just word of mouth going out and grill marketing it um and so you know we're hoping and it's going to be on tubi they for probably a year or so like that so the good news is it's gonna be in it for a while hopefully people will discover it but so much out there. People have to find it. Uh, we're hoping people will get into it. Um, and then the idea is that someone would have to sort of like, you know, option that someone would have to come along and say, here, I'm going to give you money to make a season two. Cause you know, this guy basically paid out of pocket to create his vision and now he's, he's doing other things now. Actually, um, interestingly, the food delivery service thing. So he puts his money where his mouth is cause he, he had this big thing about how it's exploiting, exploiting restaurants. And so now he's actually starting his own version of a food delivery service that is cooperative where it includes small restaurants. They get part of the profit sharing and they're part of the decision making uh, for it uh, as well. So he's trying to sort of rebuild the model of how to do this in a way that's more fair and equitable and doesn't destroy the sort of like uh, destroy the ecosystem of small mom and pop restaurants to make a profit the way these other places like Grubhub and Postmates do. So he's kind of like got off and doing stuff like that. And I think he's kind of done He's had his experience making TV and he's ready to move on. But since we have this thing out there, if people, you know, if someone discovers it and likes it and they have to do it, then, uh, so that's a direct appeal to your listeners. If one of you (laughs) wants to finance a TV show, uh, get in touch with me after the program. All,
0: all 1400 of my listeners. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Just takes one spot. Just takes one.
0: Watch. I find out that, that someone listening is like loaded.
1: (laughs) Warren Buffett's a listener. Wow. (laughs)
0: Man, Elon Musk really likes my podcast. When did you think of the episode that I did on Punky Brewster and the Challenger?
1: That's uh, why, That's what got him in. That was his gateway drug.
0: Um, I didn't even realize that I mentioned him and the space episode. Wow. Um, also, my other question for you is uh, the guy who, who is funding the show, how long has he had James Bond hooked to a table? <laughs>
1: You said no, Mister Bond. I expect you to fund season two.
0: <laughs> you don't expect you to get away with this. No, I expect a season two, Mister Bond.
1: <laughs> he's gonna. He's gonna. We're gonna start shooting on season two the moment that the laser beam almost hits his crotch.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that would be perfect. Um, so, Rob, thanks for doing this. Uh, thanks for coming on. It, it's always a blast talking to you. Um, or well, messaging you and now finally talking to you. I think the last time we talked was. I think seven years ago, <laughs> on the phone,
1: that's entirely possible in this in this age. You might say you might say Robin Scott had gone their separate ways,
0: <laughs> but now their' worlds together. Wait, that doesn't make sense.'
1: <laughs> You've gone too far
0: <laughs> the formula. But, but you know we we always talk online, and i'm I'm so glad that you were able to do this, and I'm so happy for all your success, man.
1: Thank you. I, I really enjoyed this talk. I, I like how you just dive in super deep to these things and just like find all the layers of meaning. It's just great. It's just really like I almost felt like I, I did feel a little bit like the kid hadn't done his homework because it's like you brought out so much from that same episode that I watched with you. I was like, oh, wow. I guess I really should have paid more attention because Scott found every single morsel of it. <laughs> so I enjoyed that. And I enjoyed all the tangents we took. To-
0: Thanks for doing this again. Uh, is there anything else you want to plug besides Gander?
1: No, you can just, you can. Look at all my different projects that I mentioned at Robcutter.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at, at Apocalypse How.
0: Um, so yeah, and you can find us on Twitter at W-R-T-R-B-A-G-E-L-B-S-K-T. Um, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, no one likes the Facebook page. <sighs> I sound like an old Jewish mom. <laughs> I'm like on the Facebook. No one comes to the Facebook page. I put up funny videos and no one comes. Um <laughs> Great, now I sound like my bubby. <laughs> but uh, you can also find us on um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Email us, writersbagelbasket at gmail.com. We might read it on the air. And uh, until next time, I'm Scott Kerlin. Rob, thanks for doing this. Bye. Bye. <laughs>